Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so glad you are here today. Today, my guest is Bob Tamaka. He is the CFO of Meyer Supply, which is a, another ESOP company. And we talk about lots of things, employee ownership and building a culture of ownership and how you teach people how to think and act like owners. And he shares all kinds of great tidbits of information. I love one of his suggestions about getting out from behind your desk when someone walks in to talk to you and go sit with them at a separate table and how that really changes the power dynamic and forces you to listen deeply. I really, really appreciated that advice. I'm going to take him up on that. So I know you will totally enjoy this interview. So hang tight and I will be right back with Bob. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have Bob Tamaka with me here. He's the CFO of Meyer Supply, and he's an ESOP company, and we're going to have a great conversation. Bob, I'm so glad you're here with me today. Carrie, thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So tell us a little bit about Meyer Supply and how you got there, I guess, almost 18 years ago now, huh? Yes, I'm just about to hit my 18-year anniversary here at Meyer Supply. It's been quite the journey since I've been here. So I was actually friends with the Meyer family for several years before I started here. I was in public accounting for several years, and uh, I was friendly with Frank, the president. We would just get together a couple times a year, and the company started to grow, expand. He had some big initiatives of where they wanted to go, seeking out some future leaders for the company. And so I worked on starting the finance department in 2006 and started working with Frank here at Meyer Supply. Great. So can you tell us a little bit about what Meyer Supply does? Sure. Meyer Supply is a wholesale HVAC heating, cooling equipment and refrigeration equipment. Meyer Supply started in the Binghamton area in, wow, we just had our 65-year anniversary. And we, we've actually just hit our 32 years of uh, being an employee-owned company. So Meyer Supply has had quite the journey uh, over the years. So funny story uh, how, so it was Frank, our former president's grandfather who started the company. There was a local gentleman who owned a refrigeration company and he also owned a flooring company and he had negotiated to buy the flooring company. And then he went on vacation, came back a week later and the guy sold the flooring company from under his, just out from under his nose. And Frank's grandpa said, well, I guess I'm going into refrigeration basically. And he bought the refrigeration company. Now, 65 years later, we have 190 co-owners. So we do pride ourselves on that at Meyer Supply as well, that we're all employee owners. We're all co-owners. We've really developed a nice job with that culture. And uh, from the leadership side, you know, we always set the tone from the top. Day one, everybody to me was a co-owner. And even when I'm out with Frank or Mike or any of the executives, it's Bob doesn't work for me. Bob works with me. So I think that's another big thing of leadership to absorb the culture. Uh, so it's still a little more on Meyer Supply. So we do have uh, 18 locations between New York and Pennsylvania, uh, pretty much all the big cities in Northeast Pennsylvania and across the 90 in New York. So we're all over the place, but we're wholesale only. So you can't walk into a Meyer Supply and buy an air filter. You have to go to Lowe's for that. We're just selling direct to all the contractors. Got it. And was Meyer Supply an ESOP when you came on board or were you part of that transition? So when I started at Meyer Supply, we were already at 51% ESOP. Okay. The initial transaction was in 1992 for 51%. A few of the family members looking for an exit strategy. A few of the family members also just really had nothing to do with the company. And the company did very, very well for several years. So 
it was a nice vehicle for uh, Frank's grandfather to give some of the company back to all the future co-owners at that point in time. So when I started at Meyer Supply in 2006, we had already been ESOP for 14 years. And in those 14 years, the company was more focused on growth. There were several acquisitions, new locations. There wasn't a big focus on trying to buy the shares back and go 100% at that point. So when I came onto Meyer Supply, I still remember my first day at work and I go into Frank's office and, and I was all excited. Frank, what are all my duties and responsibilities? I still remember he hands me literally a scrap of paper. I, I think he had an, a spiral notepad on his desk. And Bob, here's your duties and responsibilities. First thing on the list, figure out how to get us to 100% ESOP. So that became a huge focus of mine to uh, get engaged with the ESOP community and just learn absolutely everything I could. Uh, yeah, uh, we did the same. We did a 25% and then we slowly got to about 49. And then at the end of last year, uh, really over the 2021 and 2022, we continued to do the buyout and became 100% at the end of this year. So not exactly the same journey, but a similar journey of being able to kind of go through that transition. So what was that like for you coming in? It was like, okay, what is this employee ownership stuff? Or did you buy into it immediately? Tell us a little bit about that. So one interesting thing, and I had known the family for several years before that's where I already knew a little bit about them, their style. And that's one of the things that brought me to Meyer Supply was knowing that they were an ESOP and, and knowing already who some of the executives were. And so I was comfortable making that transition uh, over to an employee-owned company. And one interesting thing, when I came over, I noticed very quickly, first day, great culture, great tone from the top. And I just tried to figure out, I, it, I struggled for a little bit trying to put my finger on what was it. And then after about a year and a half, I actually took the Dale Carnegie leadership course and just starting to learn all those human relationship skills and going through Dale Carnegie and then learning that that was a big thing for here is to bring all the leaders up. I'm already working on their human relation skills that everybody goes through the Dale Carnegie course. And that was one of my little aha moments here that like, then I just got it of where this culture was developed, where their leadership styles were developed, very big on empowering everybody. And that was really interesting to me when I got that. Yep. And so tell us a little bit about your culture and what that looks like being an, an employee owner at Meyer Supply. Sure. As for the culture here, we've always tried to pride ourselves on empowerment. And we want even someone in the warehouse to a counterperson to the executives really make them feel like they're an employee owner. And I, and we do, and, and it's interesting too, that we all do a lot of coaching of each other as well. So there's some departments here. So I'm at corporate headquarters. So I have marketing, HR, supply chain, logistics, all right around me. But it's a really interesting dynamic that we all work together and cohabitate so well. And I think a lot of the employee ownership really has a lot to do with that that for the fact we're all working towards that same goal. We're all working towards that nice stock price increase every single year. And we have a couple of catchphrases, drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, we all bleed Meyer blue. So we have a few of those little phrases that we all use as well. And a lot of it is really setting that tone from the top. And when I started, Frank was my direct supervisor. And I remember I was you know, really excitable. Wanted to come with some new ideas. I was developing the department. And a lot of my emails and communication from Frank would always be, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Asking him for his opinion. And then the one day he actually pulled me aside, and I still remember this conversation. He said, Bob, 
I don't want you to come to me with problems. I want you to come to me with solutions. So that was another one of these aha, like, wow, he wants me to make decisions. He wants me to help the culture, help the company and put some of these decisions in my hand. Obviously, some big things would still need to go over the executive's desk, but it's little things like that, just empowering everybody to make them feel like they're employee and they're making a difference in the company. Yeah, I love that. When I came on board, seven, almost 17, I'm one year behind you. I started <laughs> at Stone Age in January of 2007. And I was 28 years old and um, very inexperienced, but was the founders decided that they wanted to take a risk and hire me to start to take over the company. But I would do that same thing. Like I would come in and talk to the founder, like, what do you think? What do you think? And he was like, no, what do you think? I'm not paying you to come in here and get my ideas. I want to know what your ideas are. And that really stuck with me. And I try to do that same thing with my team. Every single person here in the company is like, well, what do you think we should do? What would you do if you were me? And two things. One, it does empower people to make decisions, but it also helps people improve their thinking. Right? If they know that they're going to have to come with a solution or with ideas or just to state their opinion, they're going to think through it a little bit more than if they just go, OK, I'll just go ask Bob what he thinks or Carrie what she thinks. It's such a powerful message you send when you say, I'm really interested in what you have to say about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Yes, it, absolutely with that. And we do that at all levels. And yeah. like I mentioned earlier about some of the engagement we even have with the other departments. So if I go to make a cup of coffee and I'll, I'll go take a walk around the warehouse and I'll, I'll just ask some random questions to a couple of the guys out in the warehouse and empowering them to talk about things. And I might even throw at them, hey, where's an area improvement you would like to see? And maybe they're just in the warehouse picking, pulling parts. And they like hearing that opportunity to talk about a couple of their ideas. And generally we're all fairly open door and we'll listen. And actually we do have a, a strategic planning council. So we do vet issues every single week at our meetings. And we jokingly say, no, no stone unturned. We will talk about just about anything yeah. you want. It's any kind of a process improvement. And we want to hear from people because the warehouse person, they'll know that more than anything. I don't want to go out to the warehouse and say, hey, this is how you're doing this from now on. I want them to say, hey, I think we can do a better job if we do X, Y, Z. Good. Do it. Run with it. And, I, and we really do pride ourselves on a lot of that here. Yeah, that's fantastic. Do you have to train people on this? Do they come in and go, ooh, you know, my last job, no one really cared what I had to say. And you'd be in trouble if you did something on your own. Do you have to kind of help people unlearn maybe the things they've learned at other companies to come in and be successful at Meyer Supply? Yes, absolutely. And it takes a little while for people to actually get that. And you're right, because some people will just be having conversations on some things and I'll listen to some ideas and I'll always get a lot of, wow, they didn't do that in my last job. They didn't listen to me. They just told me everything that I had to do. So it takes a little while to get into that groove when you're here and we have a few newer salespeople who are downstairs as well, too. And I know they've made a few comments to me that they're just starting to get it as well, too. And, you know, we want everybody's voice to be heard on this. So it takes a little while to learn it. But I think once you have that one success story where you made a suggestion to the sales team or to the warehouse manager or to finance to do something or a referral, then it gives, then I feel like then you get that little extra comfort level to go to a, a Bob Tamaka or a Mike Meyer or someone else in the company to take your big grand idea. And it doesn't even have to be a life-changing yeah. suggestion either. It can just be something small that could turn out to be a large uh, efficiency in the long run. 
Yep, absolutely. We try to celebrate people who bring up or like who give critical feedback as well. Try to celebrate them because we want people to give feedback. We teach people how to give feedback. We do classes on how to give feedback every single year. And and I really appreciate it when we get when we get those suggestions of, hey, this isn't working that that great. And and then we try to celebrate it so that people see that, oh, if I do bring up problems that I'm not going to get in trouble and that management is actually listening. We do surveys. We do one anonymous survey a year and then three non-anonymous surveys. And every single negative or constructive comment that we get, we go talk to that person. It's like, okay, how do we fix this? How do we make it better? How can we partner with you to solve this? Just to try to continue to build that like culture of psychological safety there. Because I think a lot of people are like, there's no way, right? There's no way I would say what I really think here. And that doesn't work in an employee-owned culture where that kind of thinking is really encouraged. I think of a couple of things that we recently just did. We do have an in-house leadership program as well. And we always do like an offsite one, two day retreat every single year. All these are people who've been through the leadership program, the future leaders of the company. And some of them even are leaders now in the company. So what we tasked everybody at the last meeting was come to the meeting with two or three just crazy outside of the box ideas. And it was really interesting. So I said in the strategic meetings and maybe like 60% of some of the comments that people made or some of their ideas were things we talked about. And a few of the things, I was just blown away that people actually thought of a few of these things. Like, wow, that's fantastic. That it, it, but we set up this forum and it's comfortable, even though a couple of people were like, wow, I don't really like how this department runs, but why haven't we tried this? And, and you're right, gloves all come off. And you can, and it's a very comfortable forum too, that you can say whatever you want. And it was interesting hearing some of the things that people said, and we like to foster those things and we want people to speak up and feel you, you, you own part of the company. We want you to speak up on these things. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the leadership program. What do you teach people in that? So the program has been around, I believe about 12 years. It's a three-year program where they meet twice a year. So it is called, so the acronym is MCD. It's the Meyer Core Development Program. The goal of the program is to find the future leaders of the company. So generally, once you're getting into a management level, or even if you just have maybe one or two direct reports, uh, or people who are not yet as managers, but we recognize that they're going to be moving up in the company. Those are the people who we like to highlight. Uh, for the course, uh, there is a Dale Carnegie type communication uh, aspect to the course as well. And then a lot of it is just general business acumen. So there's one, so one of the meetings is all just about finance and just, just talking over just general corporate finances, being and just being able to keep up a conversation, corporate finance, a lot on leadership, a lot on empowerment, negotiating skills and tactics, communication skills. We've partnered up with one of the local former Dale Carnegie reps as well too. So they will do a lot of these sessions as well for us. And then there's always reading or some kind of assignment in between the meetings as well. Books like Uncopyable or How to Be a Great Boss, just things like that, just to keep your mind going even off of the meetings. So, and, and generally the meetings are going to be a day and a half long and usually we'll have anywhere between eight to 12 people in the company in this class at one time. And did you come up with the curriculum and can people give you feedback on, hey, we'd like to learn about this? Like, how does that work? Uh, yes, there is a stock curriculum. So there are six yeah. meetings over the few years. 
but mm-hmm. we will mix and match some things mm-hmm. as well too. So I'm even remembering one of the first classes, pretty much every single person in the group was all someone in sales. So there was maybe one or two of the class that were a little bit more sales driven of how to deal with difficult customers and yep. with price objections. So some of that was a little bit more specific. So it was actually fairly sales driven for the first few classes. But now we have people from HR, marketing, inside sales, outside sales, IT. So now all different departments are in it. So now it's a little bit more broad based, just approving communication skills, leadership skills, and just more financial acumen. Yeah, that's great. And are you an open book company? We are not open book. I would call us more open door Yeah. Uh, on, on most things. And I'll be sitting in my office. Someone from the warehouse will come in. And, and if he wants to talk high level and ask a few corporate finance things, that's great. I think we've done a little bit better job over the last couple of years talking more about some of the things we're doing, especially right now. We have two feet on the gas pedal right now in acquisition mode and expansion mode. So sometimes I think it's good that we start talking about things. I have deals out there right now to buy three buildings. And I like people to know that also. I'm not one that likes surprises on people because there's something on the logistics side that maybe I'm looking at a building or moving a branch. And I try to get the other departments involved as soon as possible because all of a sudden it could create a headache for logistics and supply chain, getting them engaged as well too. And I think we also do a very nice job with that and work as a team on some of these, because what what supply chain says, I can make the decision if we can afford the building. Supply chain's got to make sure that this is going to be functioning correctly. So a lot, lot of team atmosphere with a lot of these projects as well. And do you feel like it's interesting to talk about growth? How do your employee owners feel about that? Do they understand like the growth strategy? You know, how do you bring them along for the the, the journey of of growing the company? Sure. Good question. So we actually, with our strategic planning council, we actually use the traction model as well too. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. EOS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. EOS, yeah. Yes. We don't use it here, but my husband's company does. So yes, I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. So we uh-huh. actually brought on a implementer last year. So we just finished up the yeah. full, our, our first full year with an implementer. And I think with this, having the implementer and actually we do have monthly all hands meetings and there will always be just a couple minutes on some of the things that we've talked about and a couple of the uh, potential moves, acquisitions, we're sharing sales goals, sharing some of our numbers from a high level. So we've definitely gotten a little more exposure to everybody and people love hearing that stuff. So everybody is watching a nice increase of their stock price over the last handful of years. They wanna work for a company. They wanna be here long-term to know that we have a nice trajectory into the future with some of our growth and have lofty sales goals and lofty location goals, more pins on the board of where we want to move. So I think everybody really enjoys hearing a lot of this stuff. And any conversation I have, even if I'm down in the lunchroom and talking to one of our sales guys, hey, did you hear that we, you know, we're closing on the Scranton property next week? Oh, wow. I thought I heard about that. Tell me more about it. And everybody just yeah. gets really excited about those things. They love seeing the growth and they love seeing that we're expanding. So let's switch over to your leadership style as we talked through all of this. So it's obvious that you're very passionate about this and completely buy into you're teaching people how to think and act like owners. What have you learned about yourself working for an employee-owned company in terms of your leadership style? I think probably the biggest thing learning about myself, I feel like I've never been that a very big 
I've never given a lot of empathy to people. So I feel like once I started working here, a lot of a different culture from working at the CPA firm for years, where it was more trying to churn out as much billable hours as we could and right person in the right seat, right person doing the work that was needed. So really kind of had to switch gears a little bit, even for myself coming from, you know, a very kind of strict work regiment that I had at the firm to coming to where we're empowering everybody with everything. So as we talked earlier, that took a little bit to learn that because I had to learn it on my own working with the executive team. And now I want to take all that I've learned and do that with my team. And I, I could easily just say, hey, do A, B, C, D, but I want to do as much as I can. You come to me with the solutions. I've used that line with every single person on my team around me. And once in a while, I have someone who say, Bob, you got to make this decision. I'm like, I don't want to. I, I want to get your input on this because I want to get your buy-in on this. I want to make sure that everything is a group decision, is a team decision. And I feel that's you know, one of my strengths as a leader is trying to get that engagement from everybody, not necessarily on my team, but just everybody here that I want them to make the decisions. And then I, I might be a little bit more passive on things. I don't want to be a micromanager. I, I like looking at things from not even, not 30,000 feet. I like looking at things from 50,000 feet. You can look at the things from the ground up, but I, I still always want to make sure that my door is open. So if you do have a 50 cent question that you need help with, I'm still here and I still want to help you. I don't want to put you out on an island. Uh, Frank actually had a quote that he said years ago when he was talking about empowerment. He loved to give everybody enough rope to make decisions, but not enough rope to hang themselves. So I always enjoy that phrase as well. Too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that one too. So let's go back to empathy, right? Because a lot of people talk about that. Can you learn empathy? And I believe that you can. So what are some specific things that you did to teach yourself to be more empathetic? I definitely would have to say when I, you know, from, from my prior position, I really lacked patience. Yeah. Uh, so I knew that was one thing because it was such a fast paced work atmosphere. So I think that was one of the big things that I had to try to learn. And a lot of times back then, I felt like I struggled as, as a listener a little bit because there just wasn't any time to listen. There was time to teach. I used to enjoy doing some coaching as well, too, because I always wanted to still make sure I had some time to bring up the staff. But I was looking at my watch, always so cognizant of billable hours. So it took a little bit of time for me as well, too. I think I still even have a little bit of improvement, still even on the empathy side on some things. But I think sometimes it's trying to learn a little bit more from the sales team. And I still want to be listening more and still try to be more empathetic yeah. as much as I can on things. I'm definitely a lot better than I was 18 yeah. years ago before I started. But I think it's just a continual process. And as for any other professional development. I'm still listening to podcasts all the time. I'm still reading some of these books. And even with our leadership team, we're, we have book reports that we have to do once every couple of weeks and read some of these things. So continual improvement. And now that we're talking about it, I probably will work a little bit more on my empathy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something uh, that it's we can't a, perfect it. It is. It's hard. And it's such an important leadership trait. And I think as the company scales and gets bigger and you know, you move up in your leadership roles as well, I think a lot of times we can forget that it's so important. And I just remind myself every day that people are dealing with trauma, with stress, with baggage, with things that I don't know about every single day. And if I want to help them be the best, not only 
employee owner here, but also live their best life, like I've got to be able to give them space to be able to work through the messiness of life. And that's what I try to always remind myself just to increase that empathy. And I think listening, I think you were spot on. So many of us are either too busy trying to think about what I have to go get done (laughs) or what I want to respond with that we actually don't listen. And we, that's all people really want, right? Is someone to just hear you. And so I think that that's a skill that we can always improve is how do we become deep listeners? How do we really look in somebody's eyes and say, I am listening to what you're telling me and I don't have to have an answer or response. I just can hear you. But it's not easy to do, (laughs) especially when you have a long to-do list. (laughs) And that's even one thing you'll see a lot of people in the building here do as well. So if someone walks in my office and they need to talk to me, I will physically stand up. I will move away from my screen or I make it a little obvious that I turn my screen off, that I'm not distracted. Yes, you don't want to see my 15 to-do list sitting here. But when you walk in my office, it's all attention is on you. And even if the phone starts ringing, I'm not answering. Uh, I want to focus on on you and a lot of people in the building will do that as well too. And I think that's a lot of the culture that we breed as I said as well too, because we're, we're, we're all in this together. We're all trying to help each other, setting that tone from the top. Um, and I, and I think that's that maybe one good tip from my desk is just remove yourself from your desk. And also the second you get up and you walk around to the other side of the desk, that just opens up. I'm a normal person. I'm not just sitting at a desk yep. and this is blocking me communicating with you. I'll get up, move around. I'll sit at my table with you. And then we can have conversation. And I think that really helps you be a good listener as well. Love that. I think that's such a great suggestion. It does. It really removes that kind of power differential that's there between an executive and an employee. And you really, you do, you remove yourself from the potential distractions that you have from your email binging or something like that. I do that subconsciously. And I always like to just go sit at my table when people come in here and talk with me. But I'm going to give that tip to some of my other executives who maybe aren't as approachable as they need to be. Stop sitting behind your desk, get up and go sit at the table next to somebody. And that will make it so much easier to have a conversation. I love it. Great suggestion. Thank you. You're welcome, Gary. I love it when I get those nuggets. It's so awesome. (laughs) And it's, and now it's funny that something like that, it's just bred into our atmosphere here and everybody does it. And now we don't even think anything of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. All right. So let's pivot just a little bit. I'd like to talk a little bit more about your ESOP participation. So how have you gone about learning more about ESOPs and are you involved in the ESOP community? What does that look like for you? Sure. So when I started Meyer Supply in 2006, I had some very light awareness of ESOPs yeah. the firm that I worked at did have a couple of audit clients that were ESOPs. So I understood the general concept yeah. of them. So the second I started, I just tried to go to any seminar, webinar that I could get my hands on just to start learning more. And some of the learning right up front was interesting because it was very broad-based. I needed to, when I started going to the national conference, I would take one class on everything just to understand little bits and pieces. I took one class on administration, took one class on 409P testing, one class on repurchase obligation, just to more get a broad view of, wow, there's a lot going on. And then shortly after that, then I started to get a little bit more specific of some of the things that I would, uh, that I would learn and try to bring back to the company. And the interesting thing too, from 
from 2006 to 2016, over those 10 years, we actually had, I believe, three or four transactions to buy more shares back from the family, buy some shares from a trust. So every single year, some of some of the education, things I was working on, I had a pivot based on where we were in the whole process to buy the rest of the uh, family shares back. And we did actually have a big transaction in 2016, which is where we officially became 100% ESOP. As for on the ESOP committee side, I sat on the ESOP committee for several years. I'm involved with, uh, so now I'm more of a color commentator. So we do have a few people who um, are putting on ESOP educational videos. Actually, we had one today. We had almost half of the company just on a, well, it's October employee ownership month. So we did yeah. have an in-house half hour long basics of ESOP. So now we've brought That's a few right. other people up to start doing these presentations. And I just sit in the background and I just say, kick me under the table when you need a little help with something. And I think uh, a few of the, the people who've been running the webinars have enjoyed doing that as well. I love seeing people step up and, and moving up and doing these things. Uh, so now we've actually formed an ESOP advisory council where there's only a few of us on there. And we're more from a high level. If there's any kind of plan, suggested plan changes, plan design, really uh, so we're, we're a little more high level, but I'm still always here if the ESOP committee needs a little help or, hey, Bob, can you help with this webinar? Or, hey, can you reach out to a few of your CEO, CFO, ESOP friends for any ideas for employee ownership month? So I'm still here helping out a lot of that and giving them guidance. Great. That's great. It's such an interesting and complex world. <laughs> and with everything that you've learned, why do you think it's a viable succession model for founders or business owners, what would be your pitch for them to consider employee ownership? Sure. I think the biggest pitch for them to consider employee ownership is company sustainability, I think is one of the biggest things that really gets overlooked. And in the case of Meyer Supply, that we were, we were operating for almost 30 years up to that point. And we were a figurehead in the community. You talk to anybody, somebody in, everybody in this whole community knows some Meyer or a Norton to some aspect. And knowing that we didn't, could the owners have sold out to some big conglomerate? Yeah, easily. But they wanted to stay in the community, be a figurehead still in the community, stay here. And, and also we talk about providing for, you know, 190 co-owners. No, we're providing for 190 families, families in this community. Yeah. And we know that we have that sustainability here. And Myers Play is not going to go anywhere. That's exactly the motivation for Stone Age, too. Our founders were like, nope, we want to make sure we stay. We're in Durango, Colorado, um, small community where good jobs are not easy to find. And so it was really important for them to have that legacy of staying in the community, of, of staying true to the, their roots and sharing in the success with employees. It's really great. I love that because I think so many people, when they do think about exiting, right, it's always just about how do I get the most money? How do I extract the most value out of my company? But there is such a legacy piece that goes to this and not just from, from what you're leaving behind, but the impact in, on the community that good jobs have, especially in the markets that you serve, right? And it can be really tough to find good jobs, just like here in rural Colorado. So I, I really applaud what you're doing and that vision. And I completely agree with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And one thing also that's really interesting currently with our industry, there's actually been a lot of 
mergers and acquisitions lately in our industry because it is mm -hmm. a fairly old industry. Mm -hmm. And what, what's been happening a lot, somebody's second, third generation, they're selling off private equity because the multipliers are so high. So that's one thing with the ESOP because we've gotten pretty deep into a few acquisitions. But some of the multipliers, we, we just couldn't compete with private equity on some of these. So now, fortunately, we're starting to see those multiples come down. We did have a small acquisition last year, and that was part of it. The owner selling off, selling his company, loved the concept of employee ownership, wanted to see his people being taken care of. We're trying to use it a little bit more as an acquisition tool yep. as well for these people who want to sustain their jobs and take care of their people and knowing that we weren't going anywhere and their whole team wasn't going to just lose their jobs tomorrow, that we just wanted a client list and everyone was gone the next day. I love that. I'm starting to see something similar. I just had a person here recently who said, I want to sell my company to you because of the ESOP, because of the culture that you have, because of the alignment. You know, you don't have to go pick the acquisition targets or sometimes they pick you because you're known for the employee ownership program and the culture that you're creating. So it's a great marketing tool to be able to attract those founders or business owners who mm -hmm. want something different for their employees. I have one final question before we wrap things up. It's my signature question. So the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? Reflecting forward, I would say a lot of times I, I like to learn from a lot of my experiences and what I've learned from a lot of others. And I've mentioned throughout the podcast, you know, a couple of these uh -huh. aha moments or defining moments and advice that I've gotten from people. And how can I take some of that information and, and go forward? I'm not one who likes to cry over spilled milk or look back and why did this happen? I'm always a lot more of, you know, how can we make things better? How can we do things better? I don't care what happened. I, I'll listen to you what happened, but let's improve. Let's get better. So reflecting on some of what happened before, some of our knowledge, and just making hopefully myself a better person, the company better, becoming more empathetic, uh, becoming a better leader. I just hope someday I can touch a few people and make a difference in their lives to make them better people as well, too. I love that answer. That's such a great answer. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been such a pleasure to get to know you and to hear the Meyer Supply culture and story around employee ownership and teaching people how to think and act like owners. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I appreciate you having me so much, Carrie. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And real quick, if people wanted to find you or find Meyer Supply, where would they go? Best is LinkedIn. I'm actually fairly active on LinkedIn. Meyer Supply is fairly active on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Right. All right. I'll include links to all those in the show notes. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. All right. Hang tight and I'll be right back. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of Reflect Forward. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it, send it to a friend, rate it. It always helps with the algorithms. And just a reminder, my book, The Ownership Mindset, is out now. And it's so exciting. Launch was amazing. And I'm really looking forward to what this next year brings with the book. So if you haven't had a chance to go purchase it, you can go on to Amazon or on to Barnes & Noble and order it or go ask your local bookstore for a copy. All right, thanks, and I'll see you next week.